Welcome to the Ministry Marks Podcast. I'm David Haynes, and that's Thomas Majors. The Ministry Marks Podcast is based on the Bible verse, Galatians 6, 17, where Paul says that he bears on his body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, Thomas, the year was 1927, and work started in the state of South Dakota. The work would extend all the way into the year 1941. The completion of the project is what we know as Mount Rushmore. You can go to that state and see the faces of George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Theodore Roosevelt, and Abraham Lincoln. So our thought today on the Ministry Marks podcast is who would be on your Mount Rushmore of preachers? Well, my first one. <laughs> no, you're going to love this. All right, well, well, let me start. Let me start by saying this. How did I come to my list? And so my idea was, who are some preachers from history that have made such an impact on preaching or ministry in general that we would want to encapsulate <laughs> their, their, uh, their notoriety on a mountain? You know, who are those people? So that's, that's kind of what my thinking was. So it didn't matter. As long, they had to have a preaching ministry. That was one of the criteria. Didn't matter if they were mainly known as a theologian or not. Didn't matter if it was contemporary or someone historical. So that was kind of my idea. They just had to make, had to made an impact on preaching. They had to have a preaching ministry. So, number one, you're, <laughs> you're going to love this. It is the Sunday school answer. The Sunday School Answer. What is the Sunday School Answer, in your opinion? Jesus Christ. Ah, <laughs> he's, you can never go wrong with Jesus. <laughs> well, in Jesus, in him lies the foundation and the model of preaching. He preached about himself. He preached about the kingdom of God. In his preaching style, he was natural. He was very clear in what he said. I mean, people didn't always like what he said, but he was clear in it. They, yeah. they knew what he was saying. They knew when the Pharisees knew they were t he was talking about them in certain circumstances. So he was clear. He used stories. He was dramatic in his language. He used figures of speech. People who heard him speak were always amazed at his words and preaching. They'd say things like, no man has ever spoken like that. We know he spoke with authority. He had direct appeal in his sermons. He went through all of the functional elements of explanation, application, illustration. I mean, <laughs> it's the Sunday school answer, but, but Jesus has to be on Mount Rushmore preachers because he inaugurated, he inaugurated Christian preaching. Hey, I what think about that's you? really good. All right, so you and I are thinking about this in different ways. But, hey, variety is the spice of life. And so I came to my Mount Rushmore preachers from a different perspective than what you have taken. So this is what I thought. A sermon is spoken. A sermon is oral communication. It's different from being written. And so I began to think, who are people that I have 
physically heard with my two ears. I have listened to them preach. So, so that was a defining moment. Whenever, whenever I thought I want to have heard these people preach, that limited it. You know, vocal recordings have only been around a little over a century, visual recordings. And so I limited it to that. I also made a list that said if, if, if I consider this person a theologian, then they're not in my group. Or if I consider this person a reformer, then they're not in my group. And, and so, so I was looking at more modern people. And the first person on my list is Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday. I've listened to him preach a number of messages, and then I have watched at least one documentary, and I think multiple documentaries about his life and about his ministry and about uh, his preaching mentality. And let me give you some of the facts. Billy Sunday was born in 1862, and he died in 1935. Most of you guys will know that he was raised up in an orphan's home, spent time in and out of an orphan's home. He was a baseball player. Uh, he was saved. His life was absolutely changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. But why I like Billy Sunday is because he maintained a certain roughness in his sermonic language. That dude could not preach at Trinity Baptist Church in Fulton, Mississippi. <laughs> He'd make everybody mad, including the preacher. And there is no way you could get by in our day in saying what he said. What I like about him is he kept that aspect. I know we progress as preachers. I understand that. I've been pastoring since the year 2005, so I'm approaching 14 years of pastoring. But I hope that if someone who was there for the very first message I ever preached, if they were to come hear me this Sunday, I hope that they would say, man, that's the same old David Haynes as 2005. No, I'm not. I'm not the same David Haynes. But I hope there would be aspects of me then that they would recognize now. And I like the idea of Billy Sunday having kind of a, a rough exterior, even though I may not agree with all the language he used and all of the things that he said, I liked it. And I think that he had an opportunity to reach your roughneck baseball playing guys. Uh, they would come and hear him and they would identify with some of his some of his language. They would identify with the way he presented a passage. And so I've listened to Billy Sunday. And so that's why he is the first guy on my Mount Rushmore. Thomas, tell us more. Well, one of the things you said is that people who hear you now, if they heard you in 2005, you know, would they make that connection? You hope they would. People who knew me in 2005 would probably not want to make that connection with me now. <laughs> Why is that, Thomas? <laughs> <laughs> they, they would probably say, well, I'm not going to hear that guy if he's the yeah. same guy that was in 2005. <laughs> All right, so I just wanted to throw that in there. All right, my, my second guy. My second guy. Okay, there's four, four right? There's four. Four, four on oh. Mount Rushmore. So my second guy, we need to fast forward 300 years okay. to John Chrysostom. Okay. Uh, so John Chrysostom the golden mouth preacher, right? Mm -hmm. He was Bishop of Antioch. He lived from 347 to 407. He used historical interpretation mm -hmm. 
instead of an allegorical interpretation, which was very popular at the time. Uh, he, of course, was, as I've already said, he, he adopted that because he was in Antioch and the Antiochian school was more of a historical approach than the Alexandrian school, which was more uh, allegorical. He preached the entire Bible. So he preached ex- systematic, expository-type sermons where he was preaching through books of the Bible. And he preached that to the people, book by book, text by text. When he preached, and, and I've had the privilege of, for one of my seminars of translating some of his sermons from, from Greek to English. And so in some of that, I know that he would preach with a moral appeal. He was concerned about the moral elements of Antioch at the time. He was concerned about, for instance, they had created these statues within the city of one of the empresses, and he was concerned. And so his ministry really skyrocketed after he had preached a series of sermons on the statues. (laughs) And that's kind of what it's remembered as, the sermons on the statues. And because of that, his ministry kind of skyrocketed. He had always... He had a direct appeal towards people. His style was, it was kind of ornate. Mm-hmm. He spoke in a, a, a very, um, well, I don't know how else to say that besides ornate. It, it was an ornate type of language. Uh, he had a rich imagination. He used great illustrations. And you think about all that he did, and he preached extemporaneously. Mm-hmm. That means he basically preached without any without any preparation. We have, we have his sermons come to us because people would write them down as he was preaching them. He didn't write his sermons down, but other people did. And so he preached extemporaneously, which is amazing to me. All right, that's my number two, John okay. Chrysostom. Who's your number two? Okay, my number two also has the first name of Billy, but instead of Billy Sunday, this is Billy Graham. Billy Graham. Born 1918, died 2018, and I think he embodies the saying of feed my sheep, not my giraffes. Now, I think of, I think of Billy Graham whenever I think of a large coliseum and I think of I think of Billy Graham preaching to the masses and the way that Billy Graham has has influenced me personally is if I ever find myself in a rut um I've lost focus uh what am I really truly called to do as a preaching pastor I will go back and I'll watch a Billy Graham crusade. You can find them on the television. They're, 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 they're everywhere. And I will watch a Billy Graham crusade. Sure. He will occasionally talk about uh, an, an, an item of, of that culture. If it's in the 1960s, he may talk about an issue of race. If it's in the 1970s, he may talk about a, a, the issue of, of, of sexual uh, immorality or sexual morality. He may mention some of those things, but the overarching theme of a Billy Graham message is come to Jesus come to Jesus. And whenever I listen to him, I find a focus on the invitation. As the Bible passage speaks to us and as we speak through scripture from the pulpit, I'm reminded we are preaching for a change in someone and we want that change to be them following Jesus. So so I would put Billy Graham on mine. I, I've heard him. I would put him on my list 
to remind us that we are preaching about Jesus. So that's my second. Thomas, who's your third? Well, I can't wait to hear who your third is. I'm seeing a pattern here. <laughs> Billy? Billy? That's all the Billys. <laughs> That's all the Billys. No, but there's another pattern there. They're all evangelistic preachers. Ah. Billy Sunday, Billy Graham. I'm not sure if who the third uh, and fourth are yet, but, uh, but there's a pattern there already. <laughs> Billy Sunday and Billy Graham, both are evangelistic yeah. preachers and known for their evangelistic preaching. Uh, my third is Martin Luther. Martin Luther, okay, so he's, sometimes he's better known as a theologian than a preacher, but we do know that it was because of his preaching that, uh, of course, he is 95 Theses, he nailed to the, to the castle door of uh, Wittenberg in October 31st, 1517. We know about that, but he was a great preacher as well, and one of the things that makes him different from the other preachers at the time is that he was a preacher in the vernacular. Mm -hmm. He didn't preach in Latin. He didn't quote scripture from Latin. He quoted scripture in the vernacular language, and he was a vernacular preacher. So that means the regular average Joe that was coming to hear Martin Luther could understand him. Now, you talk about Billy Sunday, and Billy Sunday being coarse, mm-hmm. coarse in his language, not polished, well, not polished is probably not the best word, but, but coarse, saying some things that we probably would not say That's right. at Trinity Baptist or at Holly Baptist Church. Yeah. Well, if you wouldn't let Billy Sunday at your church, then you would definitely not <laughs> let Martin Luther at your church. He was really coarse in his language, really coarse. I mean, there are some passages, uh, some parts of his sermons that I have, I've looked at before that I've I've evaluated for some classes, and I just I'm afraid to even repeat them right now oh. because we don't know who may listen to this podcast. Right, we don't want because, to offend a brother <laughs> <laughs> or a sister. <laughs> exactly, yeah. we don't want to offend a brother or a sister. And I mean, for instance, he. He did not agree with the Anabaptist, uh, and we know uh, that Baptists come from that Anabaptist yeah, yeah. vein, and some of the things he would say about Anabaptists, <laughs> he would describe them along with dogs or women of ill repute. Uh, he did not use that terminology. I'm using that terminology. Um, and so he was just very coarse in his language, uh, and he had no particular form. I mean, when you think about Preachers, a lot of times, you think about a particular form that they would like uh, if they were more deductive in their preaching or inductive in their preaching. Did they, did they do the same thing kind of similar? He did not. Martin Luther did not do the same things. And he actually provided some uh, preaching tips along the way. So Martin Luther, because of his preaching and because of what he did during the Reformation, he's included on my Mount Rushmore. All right, what about you? Number three. Okay, hang on. Before I get to number three, let me let me have a follow-up question. You mentioned about Martin Luther and his speaking in the vernacular of the day, the modern language of the day. Have you found this to be true? When you're preaching in your hometown, Nettleton, USA. Whenever you're preaching in your hometown, do you speak more in your old vernacular or your 
or, or do you feel more loose? Go ahead, and I want I want I want I want to share a story with you. I think I think for me, it's been it's been a couple years since I've been mm-hmm. back to Nettleton to preach at my home church, um, and so I think I I speak like I do now. Mm-hmm. I don't think I kind of revert back to okay. to a way that I did uh, because. Because my old past is a lot different than who I am today, and so yeah. there's there I'm I want to distance myself from yeah. from that old past and yeah. not, and not <laughs> I don't want to be that person, and I'm not that person yeah. anymore because yeah. I've been changed yeah. uh, by the blood of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Uh, so so that's me. I got you. I try to distance myself <laughs> from my past. Some yeah. You know, it, it, my thought is my thought is when when I'm in Alcorn County. Uh, whether it's Holly Baptist Church uh, preaching in your pulpit, or if it's down the road at Shiloh Baptist Church, the the church that I call my home church, I was there for the first 16 years of my life. I find myself loose, and I, I've got to remind myself to be to be be strict, and uh, because I've always said, man, my native tongue is redneck, and I had to learn to speak English whenever I started attending Blue Mountain College, and I find myself being in my native homeland and speaking more of a redneck slang even from the pulpit and so I've got to watch that whenever I'm preaching within Alcorn County. It's just something weird about me seeing people I know, I identify with them, I, I kid with them, I cut up with them, and and the redneck side of me comes out in the pulpit. So kind of I don't and just let me give uh, a quick statement here. And I don't think David is trying to say that everyone at Shiloh <laughs> or Holly or Alcorn County That's are rednecks. Right. <laughs> it's just, I am. <laughs> I am a redneck. Absolutely. Well, but honestly, I think what you're, you're hitting on there is the contextualization of the yeah. message for the audience. Now, I'm not from Alcorn County. Mm-hmm. But yet, when I talk about Alcorn County, I say Alcorn County instead of Alcorn County. Uh-huh. There's just a little bit of a difference there. If I was just looking at it on a piece of paper, I'd probably say Alcorn, Alcorn. County. Yeah. But everybody who lives here and who is born here always says Alcorn County. And that's the way they distinguish people from <laughs> insiders to outsiders. How do you yeah. pronounce Alcorn County? And so I've contextualized some of my speaking. Yeah my speaking to reach the audience that I'm talking to. I think we all do that at some level. If you were talking to a group of youth, you would probably, you'd probably loosen up your language a little bit, maybe use a slang word here or there. And, and if you were speaking to your group on Thursday morning at the Uh nursing home Uh or, or something like that, you're probably not going to use slang. You're probably going to use some different language, but, but yeah, I digress. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. So here we are. To my third, my third preacher. So I have Billy Sunday, Billy Graham, and now Adrian Rogers. Adrian Rogers, uh, 1931. He was born 2005. He passed away. And, and I wrote down just, just one statement about Adrian Rogers. Golden-voiced trumpeteer of God's word. Golden-voiced trumpeteer of God's word. Now, I, I, I do my 
introduction, my sermon introduction, based on a, a format which is very similar to what he used, and and I, I appreciate his ministry. The very first time I remember noticing Adrian Rogers was shortly after I had surrendered to the ministry. So I surrendered in October of 2000. A short time after that, Alcorn Baptist had Adrian Rogers preach a a a, a countywide revival, kind of like an evangelistic. Crusade. It was at the um, the arena here in Alcorn County, <clears throat> and I went to. I was part of a team who helped get the stage area set up. Uh, I think we brought the pulpit or something like that, and I was there. So I was on the. I was in the behind the scenes. Uh, not really much. It was just some older guys being nice to a younger guy, and and I remember someone stating afterwards. Man, that sure was nice of Adrian Rogers not to accept any money. And I remember asking, what? And they were talking with him about how much he would come for. What is your required fee? And what I was told, I don't know if it's accurate or not, but what I was told is he made the statement, I am taken care of very well by my church, that's Bellevue Baptist. And he came to do that crusade for no financial compensation. Whenever I heard that, I was about 20 or 21 years old. I thought, wow, that is integrity. Uh, yeah. Let's say they were going to give him $1,000. That's $1,000 he could have taken and used in any way he wanted to use. And I thought, that's that's something. Uh, I watched him every Sunday morning uh, until he retired as the pastor of Bellevue Baptist. And I, I love listening to him. I will still listen to Love Worth Finding. I, I will still listen to him. And so he is on my Mount Rushmore because I've, I've, I've heard him preach, heard him preach live and in person, and I, I appreciate his ministry. Uh, Thomas, who's your who's your last guy? Number four. My last guy. We're moving forward to the modern period of the pulpit, uh, the evangelical period as it has been described, and my person is George Whitfield, 1714 to 1770. Now, here's some background information. The First Great Awakening, this great revivalistic movement that came through Europe and America, started in 1727 and continued until 1750. He started preaching, open-air preaching, around 1739, and so he was right in the midst of this Great Awakening. He was a very popular preacher. I think it was said that he traveled from... England to America and back and forth like some 19 times. He made 19 trips across the Atlantic Ocean going there and preaching and being here and preaching. He had an orphanage in Georgia. He preached up and down the East Coast. One of the last things he did, one of the last things he did is he got to a place that he was going to stay the night. The people came and they wanted to hear him preach. And so he opened up the window and he preached. And he died that night. Yeah. yeah. Man, I, I mean, <laughs> you know, I'm not afraid of death, but I mean, it's that dying part that kind of worries me. You know, how are you going to die? But but I think that would be the way to go. Preach, yeah. go to sleep, and die in the middle yeah. of the night. So. <laughs> but George Whitfield, George Whitfield, he was a popular preacher. He was said to be passionate. People who have recorded his sermons, and you can read some of his sermons, but they're, they seem to be kind of dull, mm-hmm. okay. lifeless, just no energy at all to them. 
But people who heard him preach say that it was passionate and it was full of life, that he had this great intensity in his preaching, that he was so persuasive with his words that it just compelled people. But it is not translated over to the sermons that people have recorded for us. Now, Benjamin Franklin, we know Benjamin Franklin wasn't necessarily sympathetic to Christian ideals. And this is what he said about George Whitfield. I just want you to hear, this is what somebody else said, somebody who wasn't even sympathetic to some of the Christian ideals. He said, I happened soon after to attend one of his sermons, in the course of which I perceived he intended to finish with the collection. He was going to take up an offering. Yeah. <laughs> probably going to take up an offering to help him, but also help his orphanage in Georgia. Yeah. And Benjamin Franklin continues, And I silently resolved he should get nothing from me. I had in my pocket a handful of copper money, three or four silver dollars, and five Spanish gold coins. As he proceeded, I began to soften and concluded to give him the coppers. Another stroke of his oratory made me ashamed of that and determined me to give the silver. And he finished so admirably that I emptied my pocket wholly into the collector's dish. Coppers, silver, gold, and all. I mean, that just tells you of the persuasive preaching that George Whitfield had. Again, the sermons that come to us aren't that great. They lack that passion and that livelihood, but history records for us that he was an amazing preacher, and he preached during the Great Awakening. I could have thrown another one in. I know this is my last one. It was really a toss-up to me between George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards because that time period, there's so much happening. Uh, but I went with George Whitfield because of yeah. the eloquence of his preaching. What about yeah. you? Your last one. Who's number four? Okay, l- l- let me give you uh, my honorable mention is the same as your honorable mention. Jonathan Edwards, had I not put the parameters of I want to have heard this person with my ears, uh, it would have been Jonathan Edwards. I've read many of his sermons, as you have to, and, and that would have been my honorable mention. My number four, my number four, David Jeremiah, David Jeremiah. Now, uh, born 1941, still alive, still preaching. Um David Jeremiah, the first time I met him was when I was a student at Blue Mountain College. It was probably 2007 or 8, and Dr. Meeks took a handful of guys up to uh, Memphis, Tennessee to hear David Jeremiah, it was kind of a, a small setting, maybe 250, 300 guys, something like that, and uh, and more of a pastor's conference, kind of a, a personal thing that he did. Do you remember that, Thomas? Were you I, there for that? I was, I was there for that, and uh, Brad Hill and I almost got shot. Almost by, got shot? By, uh, I'm joking, yeah. it's by David Jeremiah's uh, bodyguard. We saw, him, we saw him cut through this little alleyway of the church or this back hallway, yeah. and so Brad and I said, hey, let's go, and so we started walking to see David yeah. Jeremiah, yeah. and the bodyguard put his hand in his coat and put his other hand out and said, yeah. stop, back oh. up. Oh, so so we joke and say we almost got shot by David Jeremiah's. Yeah. I can't believe you weren't with us. Yeah, no, I, I we would have loved for you to have been shot with us. <laughs> I was seated next to Sam Shaw. I was seated next to him, and he and I talked, and he asked some of the best questions during the uh, intermediate time. So now, so now, what were you going to do? Had you made your way to David Jeremiah, what were you going to do? What were you going to ask him? 
I was just going to introduce myself, uh, talk to him for a moment, maybe get a picture or yeah. something. Yeah. Autograph, sign my Bible. I don't, yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah. We never got that far. I got you. Was isn't it Rick Warren who met W.A. Criswell? Rick Warren was a seminary student and went to hear Criswell preach, and Criswell prayed for him. A, a, am I telling that? Oh correct? yes, you're telling it correctly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I wonder. I wonder. Okay, if you met David Jeremiah that day and he said, "Thomas, what's the one thing you want me to pray for you about?" What What would you have asked him? Because I know that that was us a decade ago. Uh, David Jeremiah, I asked the Lord to bless my ministry, bless my family. What would what would have been? I'm, you know? I'm not sure. Right now, the first thing that pops in my head is, yeah. oh, pray for wisdom so right. I may lead these great people. <laughs> <laughs> I worried for Solomon, didn't it? <laughs> so maybe, That's right. Maybe and the Lord work. blessed him with everything. And the <laughs> Lord blessed him with a lot of money, too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that's terrible. So, yeah, David Jeremiah, that was the first time I was ever up close and personal with him, and I appreciated him taking his time uh, with us lowly college students and some of the other pastors that were there. Now, I think this about David Jeremiah, he is mesmerizing to listen to. Um, his his pulpit presentation is not the strongest I've ever seen, but the spoken word of David Jeremiah's sermons are fantastic. They're absolutely fantastic. Uh, a lot of times, Whenever I'm uh, going deer hunting in the, in the fall or going turkey hunting in the spring, um, I will be flipping through the radio stations, heading to the woods, and I will run across a David Jeremiah sermon, and and I'm I'm done. I will I will listen to that until it is over. I love listening to him preach. He has such skill in preaching, and he is my fourth, which will complete my Mount Rushmore. Uh, preachers thomas any any follow-up thoughts on this i don't I, I i just noticed the way we went about this is a lot different yeah i looked at necessarily historical aspect and what were some of those major preachers that really defined an era that we see turning points throughout church history Whereas you are a little more contemporary, and two of yours are evangelistic preachers, yeah. definitely evangelistic preachers, yeah. known for that, and the two other ones are just known as great expositors, yeah. and mine is a is a it's a little bit of a hodgepodge, I guess you yeah. could say. But I mean, I know my number one preacher is better than all of yours. Yeah, Jesus, you can't, most definitely. <laughs> you can't you can't get one higher than Jesus. He needs to be on Mount Rushmore. That's right. That's right. And Thomas, I totally agree. We want to thank you so much for listening to the Ministry Marks podcast. Tune in for our next episode where we will discuss four topics that we do not like to discuss while preaching. <laughs>